when I ascend out of my body, I'm going to look back on the planet and I'm going to see millions of lights lit from something that I've done, some person that I've helped change that went ahead and changed other people. I'm training coaches now so that they can coach like I coach. And they're out there working and they're all over the world doing it. So the bottom line for me is that's my ultimate legacy. That's my goal. But if I ask someone, when you make your ascension out of your body, which is an inevitability, what are you going to want to see? What is the impact that you will have wanted to have made? And personally, I think if I'm planning for a trip and it's an inevitable trip, I'm going to get my tickets. I'm going to buy a new suit. I'm going to polish up my shoes. Right. I'm going to have, you know, all the things I need. And I'm going to get on the plane and go. But most people are like, oh, I can't think about that. I don't want to think about that. Or I don't know. I don't know what's on the other side. I'm like, no, we don't. We don't know. But the truth of it is, chances are there is something. And if there is something, then I'm going to go for it. And if there's not something, then I'm going to live in my happy illusion, doing the best possible impact I can do on the world. Either way, I win. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Mental Purpose Podcast. I'm your host, Ian Lobos. Look, today, I, I don't know if I got more than five words out. And I think that's a really good thing. You know, every week I tell you, like, I don't want you to waste your time. I don't want to waste mine. The episodes that I put out, I deem acceptable for you. And you have to tell me if you don't find that acceptable. You guys are listening, you're supporting, you're emailing, and I love that. And so on this episode, here's what you're going to learn so you know whether to stay with this thing or not, because this is a long episode. And I'm going to tell you right now, I, I, I just let the guy go. Like, I let him talk. He was so informative, like so, like so much wisdom and gold poured out of him from a very long career of, of personal development work of self-work, of leadership work. So here's what we're going to learn about. I'm going to give you Gary's bio, and we're going to get rocking. You ready? So we are going to learn about the power of adaptability and flexibility. We're going to learn about how men lose faith in themselves and in conscious capitalism and, and, and what men and women at the top need to do as far as their service to the people that are following them. We're going to talk about leaders personal transformations and how to make that passivity and leadership being accountable keeping people inspired the quadrants of success both professional and personal how to reveal your own blind spots how to take on your reactions to what happens how to be how to go from misaligned to aligned in your deepest core values striving to feel good striving to feel good enough the duality of life and this personal world you live in that most of the time for, for us high-level men is hell and the professional world, which is at like a nine, there's, there's, there's the massive thing that we talk about, which is no matter who you are, no matter what your level is, you have got to make a commitment to personal development. And I don't mean go to a weekend seminar and pretend. I mean, get your ass into something, put your ass into it, keep your ass into it and stay and work through your shit because your leadership depends on it, all right? We're gonna learn about trauma loops, drama triangles versus creator triangles, why most wealthy people are miserable, self-leadership, releasing trauma, parenting, 
like how to contribute as a leader, what leadership, what leadership should, should stand for, what do you stand for? We're going to talk about purpose and mission. Holy hell. This episode, I caught myself getting a little anxious at some points because honestly, what he was saying was resonating so much to the old version of me. And I got anxious because I want to be that person that helps so many men get out of that vicious cycle and live their personal life and have success there like they have in their professional life. And that's, that's my fucking mission, guys. And it's, it's so cool. It's so important. By the way, Gary and I barely scratched the surface, okay? So I'm going to have him back on in about like two or three months. And we're going to talk about some more depth to the things that we covered today, okay? Let me give you a quick rundown of who Gary is, and then we're going to get rolling. All right, Gary Rodriguez is recognized as an internationally acclaimed expert in the science of human excellence and is known as the people mechanic. He has over 35 years in designing and integrating the most influential models of psychology-based systems of success and leadership, human behavior, relationships, communication, team dynamics. I don't need to read anymore. The guy is a fucking expert. And from literally the intro clip on and the first minute the guy opens his mouth, you will know you're in the right place. All right. couple housekeeping things, then we're going to rock. Remember our MOP community. We've got giveaways. We've got free stuff. We've got, we've got challenges coming up. Everything is evolving on purpose, right? We are going from that replaceable man to that irreplaceable man who becomes the irreplaceable husband and father and leader in their business, all right? We've got masterminds starting like every month. We've got retreats coming up almost every month. And if this episode hits you, send this thing out to a friend. I found myself last week listening to some really powerful episodes of another podcast. And I thought, man, who do I know that needs this? Don't send it to them like a jerk off. Don't send it to them to be right. Send it to them and say, hey, I heard some things in here that I think would resonate with you, all right? Do that. Help your friend. Be a stand for somebody. That's what we all are, leaders. Up your leadership. If this resonates with you and you know it resonates with someone else, send it to them and do it from your heart, okay? Do it from your heart. All right, other than that, that's it, okay? Join the Mental Purpose community if you already haven't download or uh, subscribe to the podcast if you haven't let's get rolling all right carrie so but i i i'm rushing to hit not rushing i'm enthusiastic to hit the record button because the conversation that we had from the moment that we jumped on here was really cool and i want the audience to be included what we were talking about was outcomes of things and i think that kind of like you said my life was run by controlling outcomes I was allowing my life to be run by my control of outcomes and my, my thoughts and my emotional reaction when outcomes didn't happen or when they didn't happen the way I wanted them to, or it hit 99% and I wanted a hundred and now I'm not happy. And how much of my life and mind share and brain power and energy was actually taken up by outcomes. And the way that we kind of got into that was tech challenges. And I said to you, I thought in the beginning when I first started podcasting in 2017 that one day it'll all just go away. One day I'll never have tech challenges. I'll be such an expert at podcasting and tech that it won't be a thing. And today I had tech challenges and you had tech challenges. And the answer is 
it's not one day it will be better. It's one day I will be better. Right. And then I, we, as a collective, you and I just <laughs> let it be what was and just moved with it. And we got on and everything's cool. And like, that's it. Yeah. You know, as I, uh, as I continue to mature, I've got a lot of miles on me now, but as I continue to mature, I keep thinking that the greatest, the greatest strength I could ever have would be the power of flexibility and adaptability. Because one thing I absolutely know is um, I have a certain destiny. And I think there's certain signposts that are already cemented in place. And the way that I navigate those particular milestones or monuments in my life is how flexible and how adaptive and how agile I can be in actually creating the greatest wisdom from them if they're tension points and have and keep the greatest peace that I can keep. And so it's always about adaptability and allowing myself to like sort of be in this moment of now rather than catastrophizing what I suspect could happen. Because if, if you look at how we do this mentally, you know, we all of our future is actually kind of linked to our references from our past. And so if our references from our past are loaded with unresolved emotional states, uh, betraying relationships, um, all those type of things that have, have we, that they've befallen all of us. But if we carry that, the trick is uh, in leadership is you have to have mental emotional management skills to actually be able to utilize this, this process of staying in the moment in a way that preserves the wisdom, lets go of the pain, and, re, and re-energizes you to actually move towards that goal in the future, whatever that is. And what I oftentimes find is that many times, because I do a lot of executive coaching, what happens is that there are, there are individuals at very high levels in very high positions that are still running on adrenaline and cortisol. Mm-hmm. You know, that triggers happen out here in their current reality that are directly linked to like fear things that they've never dealt with. And as soon as a trigger happens, they get dumped with cortisol and adrenaline, their frontal lobe shut down, and they can't think clearly. This always produces difficulties, not only in teams at the highest level, but also in the home when they have no bandwidth and they're still incredibly activated, they cannot function well. And so men oftentimes lose their faith in themselves based upon the inability to handle the emotional states. They silently implode rather than actually heal the issues. And uh, that ends up being a, a huge stumbling block as we progress through the different quadrants of how we can be successful. Um, And one, of course, is our careers. The other one is where I find most people who are successful are deficit in their personal love relationships. Uh, One suffers or the other one suffers. Mm -hmm. Uh, And ultimately, you know, I ask people, what are you actually working for? You know, like, what is the success about? Is it is a constant quest for personal significance and shiny objects? Or is it that you're going to leave a legacy? And if so, what kind of legacy? A lot of times I've run across executives say, well, I want to leave a legacy of wealth. But what ends up happening, they leave a legacy of abandonment of their children and their wives. 
which is not the legacy that that child would want. So the, it becomes globally unsatisfying at the end of the day. And we have to start looking at how are we going to bring ourselves to center and begin to start producing something that's worthy of our energy, our breaths, and our time. What's up, guys? I'm so sorry to interrupt the episode. I just need one minute to share with you all the new and exciting, amazing stuff we've got created here at Men on Purpose. First of all, thank you for listening to the podcast and supporting the movement we're creating for all the men in the world. Next, you've got to check out our new website, menonpurpose.net, where you'll find all kinds of cool stuff, including links to our podcast and the free Men on Purpose community. You're also going to find our new free purpose-driven formula mini course and ebook and links to all of our new coaching programs and products. Look, I've had so many of you ask me where to get started with your personal growth journey or where you can go to level up. So I put this thing together, this free ebook and mini course, and we're going to be talking about and coaching you through a really light version of our purpose-driven formula, which is our foundational formula. And for those of you who are ready now, we got you. Listen up, whether it's becoming the best husband, being the best dad, quitting that job that doesn't serve you, or just understanding how to put you first, we've got what you need to align with your authentic self and find that true fulfillment and live a life with no regrets. Look, we're helping men with structure, support, and sustainability. That's what you've asked for, and that's what we deliver. As we lead you through proven and tested curriculum that focuses on formulas to help you get farther faster. So make sure you go to menonpurpose.net, click the button to download our free, powerful, purpose-driven formula mini course and ebook. And while you're there, make sure you check out some of our amazing products designed to help you find your purpose, stop self-sabotage, and dial in your mindset, skills, and habits to evolve into the best version of you. Why? because we want you to live and have the best life possible. No regrets. So mentalpurpose.net, let's get back to the episode. Well, I now know that this interview, this this episode is going to be about four hours long. And <laughs> I, hope you, I, 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 hope you, uh, I hope you cleared your schedule and I will, I will clear mine. Because <laughs> what, you, what you've said in the, in the first 10 minutes of this thing is, is so spot on to what our guys are dealing with. What mm. I dealt with, um, we're going to find out if you dealt with, which I'm sure you have, is this understanding that money is our significance, job achievement, position achievement, bank account filling, and then that piece that you said about legacy. And I talked to a lot of very high-end guys, very smart guys in the business world who in their personal life are... You know, I, I don't know if you ever listened to Howard Stern and a couple guys are going to get this reference. There's a reference where Gary Delabate, the producer, says, you know, my uh, my professional life is at like a nine because he's in that Long Island accent, a nine. And my personal life is at a two. And I feel like most guys who come to me into the mental purpose world, that's what it looks like. And they're striving so hard to leave something, build something, have something that they call or confuse as legacy. It's money and things and wealth and passive income and I mean, my kids will be taken care of. Yet the whole missing is yet the kids aren't taken care of right now because you're not showing up as the dad, husband, father, leader, man, son, whatever the hell you're supposed to be, you're not that guy. And that's a massive problem in our society. It's not even just in high-level men. It's just in our society in general. Forget about the guys that are, that are you know, working nine to five or working in hourly pay who have little to no options, and they're scraping that kind of bottom. The guys who have options and are scraping the bottom, I don't know who's worse off. 
You know, that that legacy piece is crucial to get into our guys' minds. The legacy is not, in my opinion, what you leave behind. It's who you are along the way that actually leaves a mark on somebody, not like a brand on them. Here, here. Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, my company got published by Bloomsbury Publishing House several years ago on this very subject, on creating um, the strategies for installing conscious capitalism into organizations and how do we work with with teams in a way to start shifting the culture it is sort of the secret um the secret skill to a much higher profitability and a capitalistic edge in business and that is you care for people and there's there's a few very fundamental cultural uh, competencies that have to be in place, which is the you know, culture of trust, interdependency, integrity, belonging, caring, uh, transparency, self-actualization, fun. Those are just some of them. But one of the things that I think is is vitally important that that men at the top and women at the top can often forget is that an organization is very much like raising a family. The, 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 your teams will model the philosophy, the attitude, the dedication, the, the humanity of the leader. If the leader sets the norm that this is who I am, this is what I expect in my teams, and the leader demonstrates that in word, thought, and action. Then they turn the business into a philanthropic outreach into every single life that they have the honor of supporting and building up in their careers within the company. I personally think that high leadership roles is a spiritual path because you have the capacity to change sometimes thousands of people's lives because it's just not the employee it's their family it's their friends it's it's how they treat one another um it is it's a vital competency of leadership to learn how to grow yourself into that type of leader that has an open heart that has strategic planning, that has a mind that is competitive. In other words, it's a little bit like a versatility principle. And I'm not speaking about gender here at all when I say the next thing I'm gonna say, is that there has to be a blend of feminine and masculine principles, archetypes that come together to create a truly engaging leader that people want to be like they want to model and some of those qualities like you know a caring and and belonging and loyalty are inspired in the ranks and files of teams when that that leader shows caring is able to actually build systems within the organization that support the employees, that educate the employees, that takes them to the next level, that shows them a career path within the organization, gives clarity about where we're going, clarity on the roles, and says, look, this this piece that you're playing, 
ties into this piece and this piece and this piece and this piece, and it is integral to our success. When people understand the importance of the parts they're playing and they have clarity on the three-year plan of where we're going and the, the leader is going, hey, this is my heart, this is my spirit, this is the legacy I leave, this is our philanthropic outreach in the communities that we're serving, this is how we treat one another, nothing less than that, this is how I engage with you, this is how you engage with me, this is how we work, this is our home, our family, our company. Now, when we start getting that kind of engagement and a leader who is leading from that perspective, they literally turn their company, their success, their money-generating machine into a legacy worthy of leaving to thousands or hundreds at least of people. Yeah, yeah. But what, we, what oftentimes doesn't happen is the leader doesn't understand the personal transformation they have to make. Because many people that I have worked with for, I've coached about 11,700 people worldwide. And what I run across often is, oh my God, I didn't know that I carried that with me. I didn't know that that was part of my leadership responsibilities. And when we do the deeper work, because most leadership trainings never dive deep enough, but when we do the deep dive leadership work, what happens is, Parts of them open up to a place that they discover a much higher mission for why they do what they do. They don't have to give up their wealth. They have to grow their heart. They don't have to give up their shiny objects. They have to begin to expand their level of contribution and their fortitude to create the legacy that they absolutely want to leave. How does how do you differentiate between the being too harsh or being too lenient you know where there's 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 leaders that you hear about in the you know like uh jack welsh for example amazing success and probably would be categorized as a harsh leadership environment uh accountability wise harsh harsh leadership and accountability and then you have other environments where you know the leader is so lax how do you, and that business works too. Why is that? Why are people buying into both sets of, of, of characteristics and leadership or, or, or I think in my, in my mind, what I'm curious about is why does a formula work on one and not the other, or why does it work on both and, and over here, sometimes it works and over here, sometimes it works and it doesn't work all the time. It's not a, it's not a model. I have a I have a reason why I want you to answer this specifically. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's toxic masculinity and there's toxic femininity. Yeah. You know, that that passivity will never fly in a business. Yeah. Ever. And um and, and overt demanding of people and oftentimes uh irregards ir- for people's lives that can shape so let's profit above all other all other values let's make this happen no matter what let's drive 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 burn up our people mm-hmm. and someone else will take their place once we burn them up but it's about what we gain as our assets right yeah. so the highest most valuable asset any organization has is their people without their people evolving throughout the ranks and files through time you have no succession planning Yep. You, you, you can't leave the organization ever. And the leader becomes enslaved 
to the organization because of a lack of developing people underneath them. Yeah. Now, <clears throat> I would have to have a lot more information to be able to make a comment about the gentleman that you just mentioned, but I do believe that accountability is one of the most important factors in any successfully run company. There has to be extreme ownership, which it means I take this on, I get it done, and I do it no matter what. Extreme ownership, which is accountability, is one of the fundamental principles of what people have to adhere to. And I think that is a necessary capability and competency for anyone in management, anyone in a leadership position. Hmm. There's another aspect to that, and it goes much deeper than that which is that when I speak about ownership, it's also the ownership of being able to keep people inspired and not demotivated. Demotivation happens when there is a leadership group that makes their decisions in silos and then has it bleed down into the ranks and files of the organization and people that are in lower levels and lower positions and managerial supervisors and workers are looking at the decisions that the top brass is making, realizing that the top brass hasn't seen the flaws in this part of the operation, in this part of the operation, or that part of the operation. Right. So to really become an inspiring leader, you have to harvest the genius of the ranks and files below you so that you have more than one or two perceptual positions. So one of the things I do when I go into organizations is that we get we establish the historical problems, but we get feedback, insight, and harvest a genius, a genius of people from all walks of RL touch points of what this operation is going to affect. So we can get multiple perspectives and collaboratively, of course, the executive team makes the final decision, but collaboratively, we come up with better ideas, better solutions, better risk assessments that, that once, it, once the proposal is complete by a group of collaborative leaders that have been assigned that job, what you do is you come up with a much more holistic solution that has far, far less flaws in it than groups at the top that think they know when actually they're missing large, large pieces of what their solution will actually cause down the ranks and files of the organization once it's rolled out. Why do you think that, why do you think that most guys, just the guys that we're speaking about, mm. why do you think that most guys have and it's funny, I was talking to a friend of mine about this. I won't mention his name. Um, maybe like two years ago. And he said to me, why do you think my life is such a mess? And I said, your life actually isn't a mess. Because in business, you're like one of the top guys in your field in the country. And you're paid accordingly. However, in your personal life, you run that like a, like a two and a half ring circus. That, that the animals aren't caged and just every, they're all in the audience and everything's crazy. So technically your life is, if you ran your personal life, like your business life, you're, you'd, be, you'd be unstoppable as a husband and a father. Yet if you ran your business like your personal life, you'd be, you'd be living in a, in a skid row or something. You'd be living in a trailer somewhere. Not that that's a bad thing. I'm just saying juxtaposition, right? And it's interesting because so many guys 
are in that position where they can figure it out in business, just not at home. Do you think that there is one or two main characteristics of why that doesn't correlate? Yes. Primarily when people are, are misaligned in their life, because as I said before, there's several different quadrants of success. And personally, I think to have a successful personal relationship is the thing I know that I'm most proud of in my own life. <clears throat> you know, been with my partner for 23 years, um, best relationship I could ever have. And I can actually say I've learned how to love in those last 23 years someone else or yourself or both both okay because it's turned into a uh, incredible journey for me to see my blind spots and own my blind spots and one of the things when when we entered this relationship it was like 100 ownership of my emotional states and i will take i will i will take that on rather than using language like you know when you do that you make me feel like you know this small i'll say you know, when you do that, what I create for myself is I'm pissed. It's my emotion. It's my, it's my chemical cascade inside my nervous system. It is me that's producing the emotional state by the meaning I'm ascribing to this situation. And I'm going to own that. And I'm going to sit with this and I'll talk to you in a little bit, like in an hour when I can reason through this, but I'm going to own my emotions and why this is triggering me off before I open my mouth. And we would do that. Very responsible. It is very responsible. And it's hard. Sure. But it's the only way to actually sustain a relationship that's not lost in the drama triangle, which is yeah. I'm the victim, you're the villain. Now I need to seek for a hero. And maybe the hero is a bottle of gin. You know, who knows what the hero is? Why but is that so hard, though? This is why it's so hard. Because if we dive down to the core of what's actually really happening is that individual that's got massive success in business, but is a train wreck at home, is they are ultimately misaligned to their deepest core unconscious values. Values are deeply unconscious. Our unconscious mind is 90% of who we are. And most people have absolutely no idea they think they consciously know what their values are, but if you go through a process of contrastive analysis, they will not know what their deepest held values are. And the top five drive behavior. Most people who are misaligned to their top five values are doing behaviors on a daily basis that cut at the root of things that deep down inside, they actually hold very near and dear to them. Hmm. It's interesting you say it like that because there's such a, 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 a disconnect when the guy who, you know, strives so hard in business or corporate or, or their company or whatever it might be, let's just say entrepreneurship and, or like high level leadership. And they're willing to do whatever it takes to excel in their given field, whatever it takes, whatever it takes. I mean, let's just say everybody's like working morally and ethically. Yet in the personal life, how could this person, and this is what I thought when I, like in my 10 years ago, like how can I be so good in business and know things and be willing to do things and get out of my own way and course correct and see my mistakes and flaws and journal them so I don't make them again. 
And yet my personal life, I'm completely oblivious and or playing an oblivious character. Why is that so disconnected? Why couldn't you just say, oh, you know what? I do this for my business. Uh, I realize that I'm making mistakes in my personal life. I'm just going to, why don't you do that? Okay. So we're going to go down another rabbit hole, but I'll, I'll, I'll speak to that. Um, and I have to say, you know, we're making general comments and we're making general assumptions yeah. as, as we speak. Yeah. There are, you know, variations all along the course of, of the conversation that um, we'll have a different of experience. Of course. <clears throat> so, but this is my experience, having coached as many people as I've coached through my career, is that, is that people in a high-level position, um, we walk into our organizations and in our careers, oftentimes deeply committed. And I'm going to say this from, an, from watching the unconscious patterns of so many people, striving to feel good enough. And they strive in a place where they can actually get out there and compete mm -hmm. and reach that place where there is accolades coming to them, there's success coming to them, there's attention coming to them. They have um, the symbols of wealth that they've been able to achieve, which then gives them that overall hypnotic experience of, I'm good enough and compare it to other people. Yeah. But that's all driven. If one thing exists, the other thing exists as well, because we live in a world of duality. So it's just a presupposition of language. If I'm feeling good enough and I've strived for that sense of good enough, then on the flip side of that coin, there's a part of me that does not feel good enough. Because that's why I have strived to achieve in my, in my career. When at home in a love relationship, to be good enough has very little to do with, with what you do. It has everything to do with who you are and how you show up and how you speak and the openness of your heart and how you can connect and the transparency and your emotional people intelligence has to be geared up and, and matured. And what many people who don't feel good enough do in their personal relationships, we carry this thing, all of us, and it's called an unconscious imago, a blueprint of relationships that is built upon the foundation of modeling our mothers and fathers, how they loved, how they spoke to one another, the relationship they had. And what happens is we have this unconscious blueprint and we bring into our adult relationships the woundedness of our family of origin. And if we are not very careful, we live out the patterns of our mothers and fathers in our adult relationships and even in our parenting styles. And when that happens, that's the place where most high-level executives have never really dug in yeah. and resolved. We carry traumas that are triggers 
that put us into trauma loops that cause us to behave in a way that are completely disenfranchised from our professional persona. And as a consequence, we walk around in a sense of complete incongruency. And I call it leader, leader shame because we walk around feeling like a fraud. Why can I handle it here? But I'm, I'm a complete train wreck there. Because wherever love is, everything unlike it shows up. Our patterns are meant to be triggered off in our adult love relationships so that we have an opportunity to heal them. If we don't have the courage and if we drop into the drama triangle and say, it's your fault if you would do X, Y, and Z and jump through my hoops of expectation, I would be fine. But instead of stepping into the creator triangle, which is I'm responsible and accountable for my own emotional states. I require to do some research. I require to get some deep dive coaching. I require to heal the things that haunt me. And I require to understand why I'm am as reactive as I am because I feel like I'm sitting on a powder keg and I don't understand why. And as a consequence of all that, that is from basically that one fundamental principle I mean, Stanford University's Advisory Council on Leadership said the one absolute essential quality to all leadership is self-awareness. Makes perfect sense. But what happens in most leadership positions, we are so externalized yeah. in making things happen, forgetting our own internal world. Because I have this theory, it doesn't happen to you, it happens from you. And so if it's happening from you, it's happening from my thoughts, my values, my core sense of what I care about, my connection to something divine, whatever that is for you, maybe it's the wind in the trees, I don't know. But if we don't attach ourselves to a higher level for living, then we end up just being hollowed out. And I have this, I have this metaphor. <laughs> it's like we're walking through this desert looking for this oasis, right? And the oasis is that alignment to our, our life purpose, our soul's purpose, our congruent experience of us in absolute alignment to the things we ultimately came here to do. I'm talking about as a soul, come here to do. And ultimately, at the end of the day, that, that, that purpose is about creating a positive impact on others. It just is. And so what happens is, we walk through this sort of desert of, of our life. I know that's a little dramatic, but I am a Leo, so I can do that. It is dramatic, though. I mean, if you think about it, it most is, people's it lives totally are drama. Yeah. I know. And so it's almost like going up to a stone, you know, baking in the sun of the desert and licking on the stone, expecting nectar to emerge, <laughs> but it never bloody does. And so we go from one thing, oh, this is going to make me happy and fulfilled. Lick, 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 nothing happens. We go to another stone, or maybe this is going to make me happy. Lick, 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 nothing happens. So we end up going, oh my God, nothing is actually soul satisfying. Right. And here I have, I got my McLaren. I've got my 8,000 square foot house. I got my Olympic pool. I got my private gym. I got my, my stable full of Arabian horses. I should be hysterical. And you're bloody miserable. The wealthiest people I have ever worked with have generally been the most paranoid and the most unhappy. Yeah. Yeah. So what is the ultimate quest? It's an internal process of discovering the true value of who you are. 
And that will be done in the temple of your relationships. The more you can contribute, the more you can evolve people, the more you can have a positive impact on people. Enjoy the wealth. Wealth is good. I love money. I love having a great car, a great house. I love having assets. I deserve that. There's no doubt. But a huge part of me is about making a massive contribution with the breaths I've got left in my body. Yeah. And I know every hair on my head's counted. Every breath is counted. I have a set time. And there is an inevitability coming down the road and my clock's ticking. And it's ticking for all of us. Yeah. And if I'm going to lay, because I have this vision for myself, I might as well just go there. Good. I have this vision for myself is that when I ascend out of my body, I'm going to look back on the planet and I'm going to see millions of lights lit from something that I've done. Some person that I've helped change that went ahead and changed other people. I'm training coaches now so that they can coach like I coach. And they're out there working and they're all over the world doing it. So the bottom line for me is that's my ultimate legacy. That's my goal. But if I ask someone, when you make your ascension out of your body, which is an inevitability, what are you going to want to see? What is the impact that you will have wanted to have made? And personally, I think if I'm planning for a trip and it's an inevitable trip, I'm going to get my tickets. I'm going to buy a new suit. I'm going to polish up my shoes. Right. I'm going to have, you know, all the things I need and I'm going to get on the plane and go. But most people are like, oh, I can't think about that. Well, I don't want to think about that. Or I don't know. I don't know what's on the other side. I'm like, no, we don't. We don't know. But the truth of it is, chances are there is something. And if there is something, then I'm going to go for it. And if there's not something, then I'm going to live in my happy illusion, doing the best possible impact I can do on the world. Either way, I win. Yeah, either way. Either way, I win. And others win. So, yeah, and others win. So I'm like, who cares, really, ultimately, at the end of the day, it's about this experience and now, and then how I can make an impact. And, and if there is something on the other side, I'll celebrate even louder. Is it fear that holds people back from crossing that line? And I say that line because I know when I cross the line where my relationship with money, generating it, uh, circulating it, uh, what I do with it, how I represent myself, my business, what my business does, the vision of my business, the mission. Of, I, I know that that was a distinct change in point and period in my life. And I know that what it was backed by and sort of held back by was fear, fear that I don't have enough, that I'm not doing enough for me, that I'm living this life and I won't have enjoyed as much as I could have. Yet once I started understanding those principles that you talk about, that's when that shift happened to, listen, the inevitable doesn't have an, it doesn't have a solid set date. So the inevitable is any time yet it's still inevitable. And like you, I really like, it was very eloquent what you said, when I ascend out and look back on my body, I'm gonna see all these lights that I lit around the world because of, of me being here. That's super important. Why do you think most people cannot break through that, that, that gap between doing for themselves and doing for others? Like we're talking about. 
and I know this is going to sound maybe repetitive, but I'm going to say it. Um, there's only two things that ever motivate human behavior. There's love yeah. and there's fear. And what fear will always produce, whatever you focus on, you make stronger. And if we're questing for our, our personal significance and our wealth based upon the belief that was undoubtedly installed at an unconscious level when, when we were with our family of origin, <clears throat> Because I know it definitely was with, with me. Yeah. If if we are still carrying that unaddressed malaise into our future, we will run ourselves ragged, attempting to be enough, attempting to be number one, attempting to um, be personally significant, and we will we will reach levels of that. There's no doubt about it. And it'll feel great and it'll feel good, but there'll be a place inside each one of us that is still empty. And <clears throat> that's where I think the ability to create a loving relationship with an individual that, um, that, you, that wants to do work themselves, because I think that that's a really important element of this. I've, I've, I do a lot of couples coaching and what I find is um, I will, first thing I ask is, is this relationship worth saving? And I'll ask that to each individual person. And when someone says, I don't know, or no, or I think so, then that is the most difficult client to have because they're not both all in to shifting themselves and taking responsibility for themselves to dig in, do the personal work before they can do the relational work. Most people are still in this old paradigm. If my partner does X, Y, and Z, I'll be happy. And that's just never the truth. Yeah, conditional. So, <clears throat> so the thing that, that begins to start to emerge is that we have to have self-leadership before we can have leadership. And self-leadership is something that is very rarely addressed at a corporate level in, um, in, in an, an area of even relationship you know, therapy. It, it's not generally addressed. One of the main things that I do, I'm currently writing a book on this, is, um, is a process for releasing trauma so that trauma is not what's defining you any longer. I have found that um, multiple limiting beliefs are tied to trauma. Um, multiple betrayals are tied to, you know, trauma. There is so much that gets, that bombards our nervous system from birth until now that has gone emotionally unresolved. And some of these, some of these events for people has literally filled them with so much anxiety they can become immobile. Mm and have mild cases of PTSD. So I developed this, this process quite by mistake, not that I'm the sharpest knife in the drawer, but I'm probably one of the most determined knives in the drawer. And I developed this process that decodes your nervous system. I know this will sound ridiculous, but it does. Anywhere between 10 and 15 minutes from any trauma. I've done multiple years of volunteer work for veterans returning from Afghanistan and Iraq 
historically, and this is in, you know, veteran support, you know, institutions. I worked with a company here in, in Dallas um, called Farm, that's Farmers Assisting Returning Military. And they had a huge farm and they would do soil therapy with these guys. And they would, these guys would be like that close to suicide or massive addicts by that time. And they would call me up and say, Gary, will you come in and do some trauma work? So I would go in and I would do the trauma work um, with the newly arriving veterans, and I would teach classes for them as well, um, primarily because it was the only thing that was working for them. And they would say, this is the only thing that has ever worked. Nothing, nothing has ever worked. Not EMDR, not any of those processes, nothing's ever worked but this. And so I became quite confident that what I had created was you know, seriously useful. And as we kind of look out of our eyes into our, set, our, our current cultural circumstances, we need people, we need parents to learn how to resolve trauma with their children. Yes. Because the kids are traumatized. I'm working with clients right now that have like 16, 17 year old kids who are taking metal plates and putting them in their backpacks because they want something that will protect them at school hmm. from being killed by bullets. And I'm thinking to myself, how does a 17-year-old girl go to school every day expecting to be shot and murdered? Like, how do they handle that level of stress? Crazy. It's madness. And so, you know, I keep thinking, because, you know, personally, I'd like to get a lot of tattoos, get a few more piercings, move to Maui, and give up the ghost, you know? That would be great for me. I just meditate all the time, do some body surfing, eat some, you know, eat some fruit up in the hills above Makawao in on Maui, I'd be very happy, right? And I kept thinking, I can't, I can't do that. You know, I have things I have, I have to get out there. I have to train more coaches. I have to, I want to, I want to get an online certification program going so that I can certify people in how to resolve trauma simply. I've taught 13 year old kids on how to help their classmates resolve trauma so they won't commit suicide. And these kids are like, oh, this is the best thing I've ever learned. This is the best gift I could ever be given. And I'm like, help your friends. Like, just help your friends. So this becomes a really important place, I think, for all of us to look at what are we doing with our lives? What do we want to contribute? And there's m- multiple ways to make these levels of contribution to people. Multiple ways. Find your path. I found mine. And... It's super important. I mean, I got my whole career started in the AIDS crisis where you were diagnosed, you were a skeleton in three months and there was never a question yeah. asked. Yeah. And nobody even remembers how horrific that period of time was. I do. I sat with more people that have died than I, my nervous system could, could handle. And I watch people I love dearly turn into skeletons. And I, groups of us, we come together, we would take care of people, we would bathe them, administer their meds, pay their rent, feed them, do whatever we had to do so that they could transition with dignity. And the bottom line was, and I'll, I'll say this, I think it's so important that people understand that when, when I'm thinking of one person in, in specifically that passed that a group of us took care of. And when they took his body out and I 
and all of us were like gathered around. I looked at everyone. I said, you know, we did a incredible job. Incredible. Yeah. One of us spent the night every night. He was never alone. And I said, this is like adding a jewel in the crown of your identity for how selflessly we showed up, how much we gave, and the love we showed. Because then you build the muscle neurologically for that kind of extension of yourself out in the world. You build that muscle to be able to do it again. And this is why it becomes vitally important for leaders to start understanding what are you standing for? Who are you? What do you ultimately value? How are you preparing for that transition point? How many lives do you want to touch and change? And how, what kind of legacy are you going to be leaving? Think about it from more of a larger context, even out of your bloodlines. What more can you do? And I have this theory, maybe I'm, I'm wrong, but the theory is that we're here now at a critical junction, I believe, in the human evolution. There are more things changing. Tech is coming on in a way that we've never seen. Mm-hmm. AI is coming on in a way that could change everything hopefully for the better, could be for the worst. There's more trauma, more hatred, more fracturing of humanity as far as the humanity in people towards one another than I've ever experienced because I'm 71. So I've lived a long time on the planet. I was there watching the Ed Sullivan show when the Beatles first came on, you know, and I'm like, oh, (laughs) peace and love, you know, it's all good. Right. And, um, and what I know is that this is a critical time and we're here, not by chance, because I don't think there's anything that happens by chance in the universe. So we're here. What are we going to do? Because the culture of the world is really the culture of what each one of us brings to the table. So what are we going to do? I think the Dalai Lama said it bad, best. He said, the war will never cease until the war within ceases. So the war will never cease without until the war ceases within. So what do we have to do? What's our part in this play? Boy, I'm running my mouth a lot, so I apologize. Listen, no, I, I, there, are some, there are some episodes where we are bantering, and there's some where I just, I know when to not, not interrupt the flow of some some genuine uh, amazing content so i i when i got on when i get on a roll i hardly even remember what i say but no i do i got all the notes i do i do i'm very passionate about this subject i can tell tell. and i i I have thoroughly enjoyed it can you say that one more time the war without um, will never cease until the war within ceases that means the war within our families the war with our children, the war with our wives or husbands, um, the war in our companies and the power struggles that goes that go on within executive teams all over the world. And then that merges out into the war within our communities and eventually into the wars nationally and internationally. 
So we have to start somewhere. And my premise is we start with the six or seven inches between our own ears. Yeah. And if we don't know how, then you spend your time to find out how and invest in finding out how you can unravel what you've experienced that has gone unresolved and you heal the hatred, the resentment, the betrayal in your own heart. Because whatever you dwell on, actually you make stronger and draw to you. There's, okay, I'm going to go way out there. Do it, do it. Okay, so there is a resonant field, measurable by science, by the way, that measures out 15 feet from your body that people feel in your presence. In a five-foot radius, this is according to the HeartMath Institute in their research, in a five-foot radiance, that energetic field can affect the neurosynaptic firings in another person's brain. So I oftentimes ask, like, what is that field? What creates that field? It is our emotional states. So Buddha said it best, a quote from the Dharmapatha that I, that I love. And Buddha said, the thought manifests as the word. The word manifests as the deed. The deed turns into habit. The habit hardens into character. So let your thoughts and your words spring for concern for all living things. For as a shadow follows the body, as you think, so you become. So our thinking is something that I think needs to be dove into. And that is, we're riding around the most complex neurological organism on the planet. We have more neurological connections than there are grains of sand on the planet. It's crazy. And no one's ever come up to you, have they, on a podcast and said, would you like the owner's manual for your head? Right. Would <laughs> no you like did. to know how you've made you to be you? Well, that quote right there, when I break it down, gives you how you did you. Yeah. Do you want me to elaborate? Because I will. I, I certainly do. And I, I want you to actually say it again, because I want to I'm going to write down. I'm going to have actually some trouble trying to figure out what your intro clip is going to be because there's so many great things you've said on this one. So say that again. Say that again. I want to get the exact time so my guys can pull it for the show notes. The quote from Buddha? Yep. Okay. The thought manifests as the word. <clears throat> the word manifests as the deed. The deed turns into habit. The habit hardens into character. So watch your thoughts and words with care and let it spring for concern for all living things. As the shadow follows the body, as you think, so you become. Now, the bigger question is, how do we develop the perspectives and the thinking and our responses to the stimulus out in the world now, how do we develop the way we see the world, either our positive or our negative attitudes, the beliefs that guide us, 
how did we develop all of that? So I'm going to give a very high overview of that because I think it supports what I said previously about self-leadership <clears throat> and opening up the owner's manual for your head. Yeah. When a core significant event happens, which can be in the third trimester of the womb. I know you think that's crazy, but it is not. It's interesting. The work that I do, I've done regression and I go, go to the root cause of X, Y, and Z belief or feeling. And they'll go, people don't even believe in this. They'll go, I feel like I'm in a confined space and I feel like I'm not fully developed yet. I think I'm in my mother's womb. I'm like, okay, far out. And they'll go, I hear my dad saying, I don't want a girl. I want a boy. Oh, wow. It has to be a boy. And at that moment, that little soul makes a decision that they're not going to be enough no matter what they do. <laughs> then they come out into the world and they have an experience. They go up to their dad. Daddy, daddy, love me, love me. Dad doesn't have time. Dad's working too much. Dad's doing this. Dad's doing that. And the kid just gathers evidence and gathers evidence, one experience after another that supports the originating belief. So how we deliver and how we build this behemoth of how we see the world are core significant experiences. I know that one I shared was a little, like people are going to be like, this guy's cracked. But no, actually, that's it's actually, actually a not. great one. It's a great one to think about because we, we we're thinking like after birth for all of our traumas. Now, got to think. I mean, it just adds another. It adds another complication to the to the to the discovery process. Well, this is why the discovery process is so incredibly vital. Yeah, because I agree. Think about this: you are growing in your flesh, your bones, your nervous system, your organs are growing in the the water of your mother's womb. Yeah. Her thoughts are electrical charges that conduct in the water. And not only do you have the DNA of both your mother and your father, which carries a whole other level of presuppositions, yeah. but think about during your gestation, your very physical body is growing in the emotional state based upon her thinking and what she was going through during your gestation. And her relationship with your father is all being felt in yeah. the womb. Yeah. The electrical charges of her thoughts are conducting in the water of her womb and your body is forming in that. How could that not have an impact on you? Uh, it, it makes perfect sense. There's no argument around that, period. There can't be. There can't no. be. No, I know. It's just common sense. So we get to this point to where these key significant events, as children, we have these monumental key significant events. And when they happen, we create constellations of beliefs around those events because we're meaning-making creatures. We have to make meaning out of it. Yeah. And between birth and seven is the time that we have the most neurological connections firing off than any other time of our, our existence. And as those events happen, and we're creating constellations of beliefs, have you ever, and I'll ask this as a personal question to you, have you ever said to yourself, why do I believe that? Or why am I feeling so strongly about X, Y, and Z. Why am I responding the way I'm responding? Like, yeah. I don't get it. 
Have you ever yeah. had that experience? Yeah. And a so, lot. I know. And so we have these key significant events that happen, constellations of beliefs. Now, what we do, and this is how we become bound, is that we see out of the filters of our beliefs, and eventually our beliefs become so behemoth by the evidence that we've gathered that our window that we can see reality through becomes much more narrow and narrower and narrower and narrower because we only see what we believe. I'll say that again. We don't, we don't see it and then believe it. We believe it and then we see it. So yeah. think about it this way. Do you know really negative people? Of course. And something great could happen around them and they'll still interpret it in a negative frame. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And you look at politically, whether it's right or left, it doesn't matter. None of us are getting the full truth. So the truth of it is, the truth is somewhere in the middle. So let's find that. But in our belief systems, some people will like go, oh, no, it's only this and it can yeah. only be that. And the truth of it is it's not. Is that because they're so scared that if they're not right, then who are they? Is it like an identity thing? Oh, I, I think it's way more complicated than that. Yeah, yeah. Just in terms I, of simplistic answer. Like, I think people, people are so disenfranchised from connection to one another yeah. that oftentimes they're looking for a tribe, a yeah. tribe to belong to. And the easiest way to invoke tribalism is to find a villain to blame all the woes upon fair, fair. this is just this is this is hitler's playbook that's exactly what he did yeah and so he finds a scapegoat there's lots of woes in germany at, at the time lots of economic you know woes and 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 horribleness that was happening then and found found a scapegoat turned the attention of the nation to the scapegoat fed it fed it fed it repeated yeah. it repeated it repeated it and before you know it we have genocide. So what we as Americans need to do is value the fundamental principles, I think, and then look at it's somewhere in the middle. It's somewhere in the middle. Let's open our, our eyes and our mouths for dialogue and find that place in the middle because no one's got the truth. We know that the news media on the left and right are, is completely skewed. Um, and it's our responsibility to find the answer for ourselves and ask multiple questions, get, get to some sort of amenable in the middle answer. But we have to have love for each other and love for our country, as far as I'm concerned. And in an organization, we have to have love for our kids and our family, even though yeah. they're giving us a one-fingered salute. You know, we have, to, <laughs> we have to look at it and go, okay, well, if I'm going to take full ownership, what my kid just did, I'm 50% responsible for that. I created this culture in our home that produced this result. Yeah. And I'm 50% responsible for that. What kind of dialogue do I need to create? What kind of questions do I need to ask? What kind of position do I need to take? Because a lot of times parents, when kids re reach their teenage years, they do not have an owner's manual to directionalize them on how to deal with that. Yeah. And what they have to do, just like the kid reaches puberty and they go on into more of an adult way and they're finding their own identity, the parent generally stays stuck in directionalizing their parenting skills. Like you do this and you do that, the consequences of this, the consequences of that, 
instead of turning themselves into a coach that asks the kid strategic questions to build the muscle of their own reasoning capability and let them make the choices that they'll have either the consequences or the rewards and let them learn yeah. in a loving environment yeah. rather than a critical, dominating, making wrong, shaming environment, which all that does is push the kid out the door and generally lands them in some sort of drug fest with his friends or her friends. We have to do it differently. That's all. Awesome. On that note, on that note, I think, I think I'm going to send you an email and you and I are going to pick up on that note because I, I have so many questions and I know I can't take this episode over a, an hour and five minutes. People are <laughs> I told lose, you I'd keep talking. They're going to lose it. At, no, so this is, no, this is great. I, I really, really have enjoyed your wisdom and the, the, I feel great that a lot of the thoughts that I have about my own leadership, about my own responsibilities to the planet, to my business, to the people that work with us, to our clients, my family, my own growth and, and understanding of myself. I share so many of what of the things that you're talking about. And that makes me feel great that I'm on this beautiful path, especially as a coach of a big organization like Man on Purpose and leader here that, yeah. So I, I really enjoyed this conversation. I really enjoyed your wisdom and, and all the things you had to say. I, I want to have you back on and I want to pick up on the kids thing and the trauma and the parent thing. I want to, I want to have a whole episode about that. You okay with that? I'm, I'd love to. Cause when I, I when, when, when my assistant uh, said, Oh, you, you, you know, you're going to be going on men on purpose. I was like, Oh, I love the name of that podcast. <laughs> I, I forget who, maybe it was your assistant that reached out. Well, let, let's do this. Let's wrap this episode up. Well, well, Gary's going to be back on. Gary, thanks so much for being here. I forgot to thank you in the beginning. It's something that I just... I oh, my brother, on. it was an honor and a yeah. pleasure to be here with you. I'm, I'm so grateful for the opportunity to meet someone that's on a similar path. And, and hopefully someone got some value from something that Related. came out of our mouths. If they didn't get any value, the volume was off. You know, so like or their phone died and they fell asleep. So don't worry about that. There is major value in this. I, now my job is to figure out how to how to break everything down for my team to like not have 150 show notes just to think, maybe have 50. Um, so this is great, man. Thank you so much for being here. This is this has been incredible conversation. And we're going to have you back on a couple months. and We're going to talk about parenting and children and and that kind of thing and we're just, we're gonna get deep into that cool sounds good thank you my brother I, awesome. I really appreciate you thank you for doing the work you're doing in the world of course it is my pleasure and my mission on the planet so uh audience i know you enjoyed that thank you so much for sticking with it if you stuck with it at the end uh yes just we'll catch you on the next episode and remember be on purpose and become irreplaceable we love you and we'll see you in the community <laughs>